to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Uh, we have a special guest. Oh, as always, we have Chris. Say hello, Chris. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me. This as- is... <laughs> <laughs> You're, always welcome. You're always welcome to be here. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, Dan. And then we have a returning guest, Ryan. Uh, you have been here once before, right? That's correct. You were here for The Fountain. Yes, yes. Which was a tough movie to talk about, I feel like. This one will be easier, yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. They I don't do know share, about that. They we'll do see. share uh they share a producer, I found out. Do they? Anyway. I didn't see that. Yeah. I did not do my notes very well this the, time. So the Scottish Ian Smith uh produced both of the both of these films. And of course we're talking about 2006's Children of Men, uh the dystopia film that um came out during Christmas this season in 2006 and i made my parents go and see it uh i had seen it once and i was floored by it uh i thought it was one of the greatest films i've ever seen in my life and then i forced my parents to see it uh and their reaction was meh that was sad uh and so that's kind of what i got out of them how'd you guys come across this film did you guys see when it came out yeah i saw it uh I don't know about opening weekend, but pretty close. It, I was trying to figure out how the hell did we get like buzz about movies in 06? Maybe was it just simply like, I mean, it's a universal distributed oh, the, film, so it's question. wide release, even though I feel like it, it has some kind of indie cred, weirdly, somehow. Um, maybe because uh, even though Koraran, the director, just had done the Harry Potter movie, he had been kind of buzzy because of E2 Mama Tambien. Um, but also I think just like, uh, I feel like our friend group, for whatever reason, it's kind of hard to see in retrospect, into Clive Owen. Like, we're yeah, pretty because of into- Closer. We had a big inside joke <laughs> about Closer. 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 Yeah. Closer. Wait, is it Closer? <laughs> <The> closer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and also like, I, I actually I remember seeing Croupier in the theater with my brother back in the I don't even know what late nineties. That That's like Clive Owen's breakout movie. Yeah. I like um, Croupier. I like that. Yeah, that's a good flick. But uh I don't know. What about you, Ryan? I uh probably friend group because um I would I had just moved to um Los Angeles and then uh I lived pretty close to the Cinerama Dome. And so, oh, you yeah. know, we got all the movies kind of coming in there to say clip and it was not as easy to ignore stuff and um uh, a lot of my friends are were aspiring filmmakers and actors and things like that and so they kind of you know it was on because it was a technical achievement at the time everybody kind of um there was some hype surrounding it there and so i think that's kind of how it came across my radar I, hmm. I do remember the the technical achievement part being the biggest part of the buzz yeah it was sort of like the one yeah. shot and the, yeah, I don't know. I think that, how did we figure out? I don't even know how I figured out about this film at all. I was in grad school. I don't know who knew about this movie. How did you, the internet, I guess. I mean, Reddit was a thing back then, wasn't it? Um, I'm <laughs> no, that was Tumblr. <laughs> For me, anyways. Reddit. Reddit was around 2006, 2007. So really? I, yeah, yeah. I was not on it. Oh, I'm absolutely. still not on it, though. <laughs> but a lot of it's word of mouth, you yeah. know. You have like friends that are into film and it, you know, it plays at like Sundance or whatever, and it just gets through the grapevine. Uh, it is kind of mind blowing compared to now, where if a movie like this came out, the first trailer would be like have, you know, a million hits within 24 hours, even though it's kind of like an art film. Um, 
you'll probably get into this, but um, I was actually surprised when I looked at the notes for this one, um, the box office for this. And I don't think that the box office was actually huge. Dwiper, do you have anything on? Yeah. So budget was 76 million, which is high. Yeah. For a film like this, like very high. Um, and especially because it, the, and I, maybe I'm misreading this, but the production was actually not from a major production studio. Like, do you guys recognize Strike Entertainment and Hit and Run Productions? No, never heard. No. Okay. No. So, like, that, those are the Shell actual companies. Yeah. No, production. <laughs> it was distributed by Universal who picked it up. Um, and I think Universal had to green light it and stuff like this. But, um, yeah, $76 million budget only did worldwide 70. That's not a lot at all no even like this thing lost quite a quite a bit of money if you factor in like marketing and stuff and i seem to remember the hype at least when it started getting going and people were starting to see it and like you know again talking about a lot about the technical aspects of it it seemed like a lot of people were seeing this movie and would go see it again it's just like oh you have to see this movie it's such a ride you know and you take your friends and you force them to see it again or something like that it seemed like that kind of movie but the numbers don't necessarily bear that out well, I think that speaks to what Chris was saying, though, yeah. because it was it's more of a word of mouth film. Yeah. In our world, it was like a big deal, but our world was pretty small. Yeah. I'm finding it out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't like, you know, it was not crossing over to the normies. As it people felt so very bleak, like you said about your parents, like your parents kind of said, like, well, that was real. That was a real drama. You know, yeah, what, the, is, what the, a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I think they missed a lot of what was going on there. Um, Strike Entertainment. Uh, some quick cursory yeah, Google search. Um, is the reason that Zack Snyder was able to make Dawn of the Dead in two thousand four? Oh, so they were kind of riding high a little bit on this. Yeah. Thing. So they what happened, to but them? they, <laughs> well, they they started off strong with uh, the the Rock's first movie, The Rundown in 03, oh, which, okay. which is. It was a. Uh, it didn't even actually break even, but it was close, and at least it launched. His, that guy's career um acting wise and then they did the straight to video bring it on again and then somehow they shored up enough money uh probably along with whoever snyder uh was in bed with at the time um to make dawn of the dead uh but then since but children of men was also the same year they made the huge bomb let's go to prison remember that odin kirk movie so like yeah, there's, there's, it's, but they also had Slither that year, which became a sleeper hit yep. and also launched, you know, the careers of both James Gunn and Scott Derrickson. So I don't know. It seems like they, they've been doing a lot. They also did the Thing and RoboCop remake. So fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hit and Run Productions was actually a music company. Oh. And this was their sort of offshoot. They did like music documentaries. Okay. And they did like maybe four, actually only three motion pictures. Uh, two in the 90s and in this movie this is the last movie they've ever done oh actually black oasis you guys ever heard of that nope no what the fuck is that well uh, if, they're a uk company so if the financial performance may have something to do with that then because you know they made mm-hmm. money on this deal yeah <laughs> um let's talk about what this movie's about yes. i'm gonna read the, the plot summary here uh, in 2027, which is not that far from us uh in a chaotic world in which women have become somehow infertile a former activist agrees to help transport a miraculously pregnant woman to a sanctuary at sea. Kind of spoilery a bit? Maybe a bit. Yeah, a little. Um, <laughs> they didn't need to say at sea. Yeah, at sea's a little <laughs> stretch there. Uh, tagline uh, for this movie, no children, no future, no hope, 
<laughs> all that can change in a heartbeat. Is this a pro-life I would say all movie? that can change this with a This is a, a pro-life heartbeat. movie. Uh, yeah. They, I, well, I guess we'll we'll talk about that. Maybe <laughs> that's that's so right. Code now. for let's not touch that. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we gotta like the thing about this, and it's hard to I guess for and I always wanted to contextualize stuff, for, especially for younger people um, who are listening. Um, this was a big deal for a lot of reasons. One, it's a post nine eleven movie, right? It's explicitly made with a sort of nine eleven haze around it, uh, uh, or two. And Iraq war as well. Yeah. I mean, the Iraq war, especially in the war on terror. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really, if you were politically aware of the news back then, this movie was in your face with it. They kind of blend um, you with uh, some yeah. imagery and themes. Yeah. And I do wonder if like, do you, uh, I mean, Chris, you can answer this cause you teach film to younger people. Do you think like, you know, if a 15, 16 year old saw this, would they get those references? No, I, I have a, I struggle. Um, we talk about I, I I teach a part of this film mostly for Lebesky reasons, but yeah. uh, then I also uh, teach part of Three Kings. Um, okay, sure. And so and like, bo everything from everything between Vietnam and nine eleven is just d- doesn't happen in their minds. Not still <laughs> not covered uh, in social studies. It seems. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 9-11 is obviously pretty much taught in a vacuum. Um, really, and so yeah. like Iraq and Afghanistan, and I also teach 12th grade English. So we read a novel by an Afghani author and it's, there's just so much absent. There's so much contextualizing that needs to be done for uh, young people to, to grasp that. And honestly, for me too, like I, I don't know uh, if I would be as well read in the topic as you are dan that if i you know hadn't managed to just like you know become a teacher at the time where like yeah. that kind of literature and these kinds of films um were seen as important and that was kind of uh, one of the big different takeaways i had with my rewatch of this movie and i i feel like it's more so than some of the other films that we've done on the show especially lately like i i i you know watched the one take with my kids every year in school. But then yeah. other than that, the full like context of how <laughs> Iraq war two heavy, this film is um, really f- just came across to me. I'm curious, maybe, maybe I'm starting to fight. It came across to me as kind of broad and hollow Yep. in my Ooh, new rewatch. Wow. Already? I, it, We're I, only like 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I used the term bludgeon. It really bludgeons you with the imagery and says like, hey, remember, hey, 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 this is great. Right. Hey. But without actually saying much, yeah. right? It's um, everybody is everybody yeah. is really and this kind of broadens even to the characterizations. Everybody is pretty ugly in this film and pretty bad and evil. There's like, I mean, aside obviously from our, you know, our hero so in his you know trying to you know get this person to safety like it was ultimately like an avatar i mean himself yeah, i mean uh you know i don't even remember his character's name you know it's like <laughs> like Ned? Ned? It's, what is it theo name? it's theo, <laughs> theo. <laughs> um Ned. 
but I mean, like, you know, there's, so there's, you know, a lot of people after these two as they're going through and they're all just the worst of the worst. You know, they have the government who's, you know, like spitting at people and, and, and saying how much he hates immigrants and stuff like that. There's a guard, I think says that. And then there's the, the fishes, which is the, um, the terrorist group, um, who's, you know, trying to supposedly help immigrants and, you know, liberate them and cause this uprising, but they are murderers and killers and backstabbers too. It's just like, there's the world is, this world is just the, the world of the film is just filled with just such ugly humanity. It's, there's very little daylight there. And so I thought it was a little heavy handed, you know, the way that it was just like, not a lot of nuance there but yeah i mean they they definitely well it's interesting when he's talking about the movie and how this came to be karan was basically like after 9-11 i think this like popped up on his radar or actually before 9-11 and sort of when 9-11 happened i think he felt a little bit more compelled to make it uh you know the harry potter i was gonna say harry potter calls him to make a movie <laughs> let's just say that's what happened uh and he agreed to do the harry potter movie and that this whole movie was put on hold right mm-hmm. and so in the meantime you know that that movie comes out what 2004 right iraq war ii starts in 2003 by the time you get to 2005 uh you know uh george bush wins his second again you cannot view this outside of this vacuum or the sort of that context like bush's second term is way more nihilistic and depressing than the first one because when he won in 2004 at the end of 2004 in that election versus john Kerry, it felt like the end of the world i mean to me it did uh little did we know how terrible it could possibly get Um, It's interesting that you bring that turning point up because uh, a number of episodes back, we, for whatever reason, it's my fault, we uh, discussed V for Vendetta, which mm -hmm. is comes out right at the end of Bush's yes. first term, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of, now that you say that, um, that was 05, this is 06, like, looking at these as two sides of the coin is uh, um, pretty pretty dour. Oh, yeah, they're intimately intimately connected, without a doubt. Um, but one thing I found interesting in, in sort of listening to you guys talk about, oh, on the second watch, it feels maybe a little broad, there's a shallowness to what's going on. I thought it was quite fascinating that uh, I'm not exactly sure how he came across the novel. So this this movie is based on a novel mm-hmm. that came out in 1992 Loosely. called The Children of Men. Um, English novel. Uh, it, was set in, it was actually set in this year, in 2021. Um, same idea, mass infertility. Um, he talks a little bit more in depth about the UK and what happens there and depopulation. What I found fascinating about it is that Karan refused to read the book. <laughs> what the fuck? Refused to read the book, didn't read it. Mm. Him and I think one of the producers, it says here, threw out nearly everything but the character's name, uh, the English setting, the concept that uh, the first pregnancy happened in a barren era, is what they say. So, right there, you can already see this is like Karan wants a blank canvas for his ideas um the novel and stuff the story the structure it's all sort of gone and maybe we can relate that back to v for vendetta you know (laughs) i think they followed the graphic novel by alan moore a lot more but there was a lot of leeway there here this feels like an essay it almost feels like and this is going to be insulting and sort of condescending but i'm gonna say it it does kind of feel like a politics 101 essay from a freshman Yeah. Yeah. yeah it has that sort of hey, these are bad people, hey, there's an uprising, 
there's there's nuance in the outlook but not nuance in the understanding and it's sort of like he i don't know it, it, there's a it's almost like he's throwing everything at the wall that he can everything emotionally that's what i felt like when yeah you know, they're, they're and there's throwing it all right at you um all the misery they're just throwing yeah just, but also like thinking that he can get away with it because of like what Lebeski's doing which is very you know both minimal and showy like he thinks i don't know i, I that's clearly where i'm at since i've mentioned the guy three times already yeah, it well, feels like talk about him give what, us some background on this guy right the cinematographer uh right um nicknamed chivo that has been um trying had at, been trying to get uh an oscar for so long um <laughs> he was Quiron's guy he also worked with burton sleepy hollow his shooting on that film is one of the only interesting things about it he's also worked with malik on uh, both the new world and tree of life absolutely beautiful stuff um and he <laughs> wins for arguably his worst effort which Whoa. is 2014's gravity <laughs> Oh, gra- oh, gravity. Can we talk about gravity? I was waiting oh, to talk about gravity. Now it come out. <laughs> Tangent. Oh, my God. I very much dislike that film. Let's, let's- well, but it speaks to this movie to some degree, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, you, you don't know, remember the characters' names. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's it's more of a ride. And, I, right. You know, and, it's nothing, and there's nothing actually, you know, I mean, movies can be immersive and, you know, that people, you know, it's a different kind of experience. But, you know, I don't have anything against a movie being kind of a ride, so to speak, you know, where you're just kind of, you know, uh, moving along with it on the filmmaker's terms, but I, you know, if you're asked to then pick it apart for like, you know, you guys were alluding to some more nuance and stuff like that, it becomes a little difficult and it becomes a little kind of boring, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the, what you said right there is the thing that kept popping into my mind on the rewatch was this feels like a ride. Yeah. It feels like I'm at universal studios and I'm on a little tram mm-hmm. and I'm on the the end of the world or America 2027 ride. And, you know, everything's falling apart and, you know, there's bombs going off and there's protesters and there's smog. And it, yeah, you're, you're kind of strapped in. Yeah. Where, which is interesting because like in that in that situation, the protagonist is a little bit kind of sidelined because yeah. the camera's kind of the protagonist at that point. Right. Yep. Um, and I definitely got that feeling with this, but I, I, I can't, before I go on, we, I feel like we're being a little bit negative on the film. Uh, and I have to stay before we go further down that perilous path. What works here, I think with the cinematography and what Chrome is doing, the world building here is amazing. Yes. Like I think the world building in terms of the detail and the layered sort of, and the cast is really good. Yeah. They, they, yes. They get some really clunker lines, but they sell them. Um and I I, I mean Cly- Clive Owens whatever. Uh but <laughs> How is Clive Owen whatever? He's perfect. No, I mean, yeah, you're going for you're but you're going for an avatar. You're going for like over the shoulder, like first person shooter kind of this was stand all, in. This was all handheld, right? That's what I Yeah. Well, handheld I mean, or gimbal. Three yeah. X is gimbal handheld right. camera. Yeah, they made something for the one shot. I think. Uh, um, so I think he, they contacted somebody else to do that scene with him, and then like they invented something just for that scene called the doggy cam. I think. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so there. Yeah. Nice a, low. Yeah. The technical achievement here is like next to none. 
Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's, and it still hits so hard, uh, just like viscerally, you know, when the blood splatters on the lens and we keep going with it. After this, this second rewatch, I was like, Oh, okay. And then they have to roll with it because you know, they can't. Exactly. So yeah. I mean, uh, I, um, so some of the staging too, it just, um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I took note that there were so many animals in this show. Um, mm-hmm. like, um, because I think that, despite the fact that you know humans can't procreate i think animals still can because there are a lot of animals still alive and right. like you know you see a lot of dead cows and that was probably like mad cow disease or something like that and then but everybody's got cats and dogs and then there's like this herd of sheep that walk across in one shot and you know it's during one of these action shots and i'm just like well it, that took a lot of you know <laughs> it takes a lot to wrangle some of these animals and make them do what you want you know and then yeah. you have explosions and gunshots and so like just the the logistics of and all the people and all the background yeah. and everything like that and it's it, it really is still very very impressive to watch even to this day so i think we probably all agree that it, the movie holds up as is you know in that regard well it's yeah. the second one shot too uh in the refugee camp which i think yeah. is actually way more impressive I like the car part actually. I always I mean I like the the car part, the car part is cool but it sure. the 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 car part is cool but you feel like this is a one shot thing. Uh-huh. It yeah, calls attention to itself. Yeah, yeah. The the part of the refugee where it's the the refugee camp where it's like a rolling battle. Yeah. That was beautiful and it was like you know, obviously took a lot from Saving Private Ryan, probably all from yeah. Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> I got that feeling when I was watching it at least. Yeah, um Hundred percent, and you know, well, let's let's talk about gravity just briefly because uh, I have to. You promise it's going to be brief. Yeah, <laughs> I'm setting the timer. What do you want to say, Dan, about that? Right. Well, because I think it's it speaks to something about this film and where it, it's almost like Children of Med was this branch uh, for Quran, right? Like he had this path that he could go on. Children of Men was kind of a financial, not so great. He turned down the second Harry Potter movie to do this, right? To do Children mm. of Men. So it was a big choice to make. Then he does Gravity. And like, do you guys remember when Gravity came out the hype? Like, talk oh, about hype amongst like, you know, film nerds. Stupid off the charts. It was off the charts. Uh, I had to go like opening weekend and like, it was all these, you know, um, film nerds and like just geeking out about it and afterwards i remember being in a lobby 3d glasses exactly yeah being i was in the lobby sort of like and they were just like gushing over it and i'm like yeah man that movie sucked it it was bad (laughs) like in and it didn't suck from a technical perspective again amazing to some degree uh but way more forgettable somehow completely forgettable because technological um sort of sheen needs a good story at its core right. as a skeleton yes. yeah. especially when it's all chroma keyed right it's like yeah. you're go- you're going to have this you know one woman show like at the very least children of men didn't attempt to like they they filled like i said the the cast they filled out those scenes with michael kane oh, julianne so moore yeah. juetta edgy for and so like you've got like the the pins ready to knock down there and then gravity you've got george clooney kind of and it's like <laughs> george, clooney. george clooney pretending to be frank sinatra or something right. what, what's going on? it's just like so it's like emotionally inert because there's nothing there and uh i mean i i not gonna say too much bad about 
Sandra, but like she, mm-hmm. I don't think she could. I don't she know why anybody thought chops. she could do that. <laughs> like, she doesn't have the chops. Yeah, she couldn't do it. I don't know if anybody could. It's not that I'm saying that. I shouldn't. Yeah. I shouldn't you were just watching Sandra Bullock kind of in the movie. You weren't, you weren't watching her character. You were watching Sandra right. deal with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, again, the less we talk about gravity, the better. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, about Roma? <laughs> <laughs> I, do take, I do take Dan's point about, you know, kind of the, the comparison and the differences in the approach to right. world building and story. Although I will say that I was surprised in the credits. They credited five people with the screenplay. In this. I saw. Yeah, I and saw I would, that. Yeah, and that, That's a that lot. doesn't make sense to me, but I don't know if anybody's got any more notes on that, but it just doesn't. Well, Ryan, you're the expert in in the movie making here. Like, how many people normally write a script? Well, you know, it, it, you know, obviously every movie is different. I, you know, I, I there's always the famous sort of story about like Armageddon, how like 15 people worked on that, yeah, yeah. in the life of its project. Um, uh, you know, it, obviously, you know, with a big studio movie, uh, you know, sometimes you'll have, you know, uh, you know. One person kind of started, and then a number of people come in and script doctorate and take a. But they usually don't all get credits, though, right? Right. Well, that's a. It's you know, it's a. Obviously, the uh, writers' guild has a big say in how all that yeah. allocated, and there are there are pretty you know there are a lot of rules that basically um, that you know in terms of crediting, and I don't pretend to understand them all, but um, you know it, it's. It, it's uh, it's the screenplay it's not the story by you know it's the screenplay so these people five people put stuff you know uh character names and dialogue in there somewhere or though in this movie i don't i'd be I'd, I'd be interested to know how much dialogue there actually was because you know most of yeah. it is you know just kind of this ride you know and so they're yeah mm-hmm. yeah although I, I don't feel that it's um without you know scenes and actors talking to each other and you know stuff's going on there so so I'm finding a deep dive on Vulture that kind of helps break it down. And because I was trying to parse it out myself just by looking at the filmographies of these non-Quran people uh, with writing credits. So Fergus, Mark Fergus and Hawk Osby are, were a writing team. I, I guess they're still active. Um, they, But they had just done like a couple of really forgettable films that never really got much of any kind of wide release. Um, and they their pitch uh went across Quaron's desk and it was very much like a legit actual treatment of the uh 92 novel um and but then that based on the the trivia that you provided dan it seems like what perhaps happened is that Quaron heard that concept there's a quote in this vulture article where um uh, it seemed like after Itu Mama Tambien and had, had blown up and uh, Quaron had the pick of the litter, so to speak, he says, um, script after disappointing script was tossed my way. It got to the point where I just told my agent to send me summaries because reading Halloween's reading Hollywood screenplays is really sad. So, <laughs> so they probably, he probably got, yeah, that's probably why, you know, he got the idea of like, okay, we'll credit these two guys for you know sending this pitch my way but we're going to do it my way and so then his writing partner um at the time was timothy j sexton uh who had really done just tv movies and one mexican feature prior to this um but uh with the help of i don't know how david arata comes into play but i did notice that uh he was kind of a hired hand for producer ian smith um for uh spy game 
the Robert Redford Brad Pitt uh, okay. debacle oh, yeah. in 2001. Yes. So pretty strong. So, so I'm, <laughs> I mean, my guess, you know, you've got for the Ferguson Ospie treatment. Arata adds more of the war and political intrigue element. Uh-huh. And then Quaron and Sexton add their clunky bullshit. <laughs> here's a here's a question about that then. Like, do we feel like this is a, a well-written movie? Uh, I could see it both ways. I mean, you I, I could see it kind of what Ryan was saying I before. Kind of it's a started, ride. I on the rewatch, um, I kind of started to write down a few of the plot holes that were kind of coming my <laughs> What do you got? What do you got for us? Give well, me something. You know, it's just like first of all, they don't go to great lengths to explain relationships to characters. Uh, you know, it's like Michael Caine's yeah. in the movie, but I'm not quite sure how he's you know, how he came so much into Clive Owen's orbit. They don't really yeah. is Clive Owen a journalist? I he's an, a former mm. activist, according to the right blurb that Dan what, is, what is this job that he gets out of? Well, it's, uh, it reminds me a lot of Winston in uh, 1984, right? Uh, kind of like a. Uh, uh, he he works. I think he works for the government. I yeah. Is he like erasing people? <laughs> they they ask him for traveling papers or something, and then they have that weird thing with like Danny Houston. Uh, yeah, playing his brother, cousin, cousin, cousin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, I love that scene. I I, I mean, it's so I, bizarre. The David sculpture and yeah. Chuck yeah. Bass from Gossip Girl. Yeah. It, uh, there's something with the pig. Uh, the, that's like an album cover or something. The flying. The pig, yeah, Pig Floyd. Pig Floyd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, but like, okay. And then you know, Julianne Moore, who plays I, his ex-wife, like you know, and yeah. they had a child together. But they really don't. D- d- again, I don't know necessarily yeah. how these people meet. You know, I don't know how they knew about Jasper's hide the terrorist come to jasper's hiding place that's the one thing right. i didn't understand and that doesn't make it do find them <laughs> i mean it's it doesn't make any sense i mean you know they said like he was here a couple weeks ago and then how do you know that did like yeah, how would you had more spill the beans or something like and then they and then they kind of you know explain you know the people exp- i guess julianne moore wasn't hardcore or extremist enough for them that was also not explained very well why she was murdered well, right the- I, 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 I'm not, I, I, I won't go as far as saying the movie is badly written. Cause I don't think it, you know, I mean, it, it makes, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, I, there's it, a lot worse. Want, <laughs> oh, there's a ton worse. And well, like for all the, they, it, it's kind of squanders some of the world building because the visually, yeah, yeah, I guess I, visually it tells you more than the screenplay does. Visually it tells you a lot of stuff, you know, about what's going yeah. on and how they're, you know, like a, Again, like uh, there's a lot of pollution. There's a lot of you know. I remember the cows burning in the fields. I remember you know um, some of the advertisements around about how it's a yeah, crime to, yeah. to refuse graffiti yeah to refuse like fertility tests. It's a crime now. And then there's like there's a propaganda yeah. on the bus saying how all the whole world is collapsed, but Britain's yeah. now is the only. I mean, the suicide pills. Yeah, yeah. knowing what we did, I thought that was great. Day, yeah, suicide pills get a lot of uh, play in the show. They they're very yeah. deliberate in setting up that part of the. And it's constant. It's like you get the TV ads, you get the, you know. You know, it's just like, I think Britain would be the first to collapse if the, you know. Yeah, yeah look at Brexit. They don't even have food in the show. Well, we've seen, but I mean, I guess at the time they were seen as a little more stable than the rest of the world. But I, I anyways, what, what I'm saying is that um, visually it tells you a lot more than uh, the screenplay does. Right. 
And yeah. I think there's like an attempt anyways, and I don't think it's super successful, especially on a rewatch 15 years later. Um, and I think it's also, a, you know, a big screen versus small screen thing too, perhaps where um, so much of that visual kind of commands everything that's go that's like stimulus in the movie watchers uh, senses and so you're able to forgive a lot of those like details and then there's also perhaps the argument to be made that um, they're attempting a kind of like shorthand of like dropping you into the world and not getting overly concerned with expositional details but it still doesn't like it feels like that's kind of like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too like we're just trying to make sure we're not doing too much table setting but at the same time it's like well if it's going to be distracting to me upon rewatches it's like how much how 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 what are the legs actually of a film like this yeah Uh, which is kind of interesting because like still you know with anniversary pieces like this vulture deep dive is like call, still calling there's, it a dystopian masterpiece there's a lot of those pieces I, the one of the uh, main sources here for notes is a 10-year anniversary piece where Karan does this really in length interview about it uh and so this, this movie just keeps coming back over and over again um but it does I, the question like i'm sort of left with on the rewatch as a movie that i loved when it came out like i was obsessed with this movie it has faded for me over the years because it feels so indebted to a very specific time period yeah. you know, not only in my life but in like uh you know american history and uk history and all that kind of stuff um but i think you know the fact that it does feel a little bit more like a theme park ride which gravity certainly copied right that was an extension of this feeling of sort of Gravity is is just a ride. That's all. It's that. just yeah. a theme park ride, yeah. right? And like, remember the, what's the story in Gravity? There is, and this is the thing that I, again, going back to Gravity, it's going to blow. Like, <laughs> why does she go back to Earth? Her kid's dead. What does she care? You know what I mean? Like, like because the, gravity the, brings her back to I don't know, man. Yeah. Exactly. There's no sort of, and I think here, there, ultimately, it's not a script that you would study in screenwriting class, right? It's not Chinatown. It's not even remotely in that realm um, because the storytelling is so visual. But it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of how important that's that part of storytelling is, mm-hmm. is that you have to think below the surface of the characters, not only what their motivations are, what they really want. Do we know what Clive Owen wants? No. Yeah. What, why what is he? He, he kind of. Right. He kind of gets trapped into this because once it all goes bad at the car and they have all these CCT, you know, these closed circuit cameras and surveillance, yeah. he's doomed because he's got they, – they have him on camera and he's been photographed with like four other terrorists Jeez. or whatever. And so he's got to – he's got no choice at that point. He can't just, you know, walk away. He's kind Clive of, Owen was like me at the hour mark of gravity. That's what I thought. <laughs> No, that's an interesting read, Ryan, because I think that um, for me, you know, I also got a different um, kind of version of why, like, in you know, seeing it in my 20s in grad school, I definitely felt like it was just like this very pure, almost like borderline corny, like, just save the world kind of thing, right? But then you watch it with fresh eyes, maybe more jaded eyes, <laughs> 15 years later, and I'm like, yeah, this guy's just, he's just, like, is 
I don't know. There's just seems to be like a compulsion that is because he's out of options because he, there's no other real thing for him to do. So he might as well use whatever knowledge and skills he apparently has from his life as an activist slash journalist slash friend of a political cartoonist. I don't know. Like it just, it all feels kind of wishy-washy, but because it's sold, I I do want to make special mention of, uh, um, um, uh, John Tavener's score, which is like borderline saccharine, oh, but also I was going to bring that up. I did not really enjoy it too much. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but, for, but a movie, it's, it's, for a movie that's sorry to interrupt for a movie that no. looks like you know so well you know made and stuff like that. The score was uh, kind of an afterthought, it seemed to me. But yeah, one <laughs> and it, I mean it, it was also like I think really much a. a part and parcel once again of that time period like all the like the operatic choral stuff that was happening oh, in action movies for that. right so i don't know it just seems like very much uh well um, swell it would swell at weird times and then i you know the action part of the score was pretty blase and stuff like that i'm just, again i'm just disappointed because you know uh technically and craft wise the movies yeah yeah vendors, and yeah, that kind of takes, and that kind of takes you out of it. it's just kind of like kind of like you said you would have expected that from maybe mid-2000s product you know products you know that that was kind of what was popular and what was accepted as you know kind of arty but it does not age well exactly what we, exactly what do we make of in this this uh, ten year review, they go in depth with the producers and people on the set, and there's numerous stories about how Quran was incredibly difficult to work with on this movie. Mm, uh, the quote in very troubled production. Um, he would say stuff like, uh, "If you guys don't get it right, I'm not shooting it." Uh, he literally had one scene or, or one story starts jumping on cars to damage them. Uh, because they weren't damaged the right way that he wanted to. Uh, one of the producers says it was a very t- uh, tempe- tempestuous experience. Uh, do we feel like, does that come through in the movie at all? That per- I think the perfectionism does, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it feels like every single inch of this movie is thought over. Like I'm thinking like the visual, think about the first five minutes of this movie. And it's almost like, you know, you wouldn't teach it necessarily in screenwriting class, but you would teach it in film class. Right. Because it's like there, it's so immersive, and this it, it feels more like a video game. I feel like I'm playing like Half Life back in the day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like like you said, a first person shooter, where it's like, yeah, you're there, you're feeling it. Uh, doesn't necessarily translate to like a great story or maybe longevity in that department. Um, but what do we make of these the stories of a troubled production and like hiding money too? That they were hiding money from Universal or the production studios about how much they were spending. Right, right. I think, I mean, I'd be curious here from you, Ryan, as yeah, right. a guy that writes the paychecks, what, uh, how big of a deal is this? Because it, for me as an outsider, like, especially once again, looking at the time period, 2000s, that's also when like David O. Russell was doing his thing, oh, being God, a yeah. straight up abuser on set. Right. Um, what, what, what's going on? I actually had not heard. It was interesting that uh, there, there, there is an article about kind of some behind the scenes chaos there because I'd not heard that connected with this movie at all, and I don't know if there are any stories since you know on his future on his other movies of the. But I can kind of understand with a movie that demands 
so much precision, um, you're going to get real frazzled. Because imagine how many takes they have to do of some of that stuff and one little thing goes wrong. And it could be something as simple as something wandering across frame that's not supposed to do that. And so I imagine that the, you know, the, um, the responsibilities of everybody involved to basically be in sync with each other was very great. And I think it was, um, I can see why he would be, you know, kind of on edge during the whole show. Cause again, he had a lot riding on getting everything to go right, uh, all the time, basically. Um, in terms of hiding money, um, it's, it's weird. It, 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 this kind of goes back to what you guys were saying about how the film was made because it sounds like it, I don't know if it had studio backing to start with or if they bought it later, but obviously if you're a big studio movie, you have people visiting set, you know, semi-frequently and you have the books being sent back to the company, uh, you know, on, you know, a daily basis, you know? Um, so so the, the studio would be checking numbers on a daily basis. I, especially with a movie that's budgeted at, you know, 70 plus million. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, they're going to know if you're starting to overspend and they're going to get more hands on and they're going to get. And then that's probably what obviously he the director didn't want is he didn't want a suit coming up to him and tapping him on the shoulder during this really probably stressful movie to make. You know, this is a stressful yeah. movie to make. It's just it's that's all there is to it. Um, but I, you know, I it, it that's kind of my take on it is just that, you know, you, they didn't want people in their business. And so they, it sounds like they started to hide stuff from them, which is not a good idea, but no. I mean, <laughs> the, movie, the movie got made and it was at least probably a critical success. And, you know, yeah. it made a lot of people, it made, it made it onto a lot of people's resumes where they're like, Oh, I, I worked on children of men, you know, and that got them more on other stuff. Well, it's like a film nerds film, yeah. right? It's one of those movies that like, if you're into, you're into this stuff, you're going to know about it and probably like it. I've seen it a few times. And uh, I imagine that definitely helps with getting new work. I mean, this led to gravity after all. How far was I? Mean, I can't stop. God damn it, Danny. <laughs> gravity was seven years after this, by the way. What happened? It feels like it's, it feels like it, there's a, there was a bigger gap between the two films, but um, that just happens when you get, older. I mean, seven years is a long time though for a filmmaker. Well, right. it's that gravity was more approachable because it wasn't such a, a bummer. You know, it's like, <laughs> You know, it, it kind of like people probably didn't want to really. I've only seen now Children of Men twice. You know, yeah. and I don't have a. I don't think I'll be watching it again for quite some time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, people, you know, Gravity is like a Titanic movie. It's like you go and see it with friends, and it's, it, the friends that you didn't see it with, you're like, well, I'll go see it again with you guys because you want to. It's all right. So you want to <laughs> with other people. <laughs> Yeah, it's like going to a theme park. I mean, it's interesting to see, like, look at the critical, and you know, as we talk about it, I think we're, it, it's funny because I think we all have a, you know, it's a level-headed, but I think critical take on the film. Yeah. That's not the the, the norm. No, we're- The norm here no, is absolute not. praise. We're, we're the you outliers know? here, the way we're kind of picking yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you, but here, I mean, here's where it, it gets fast when you look at the critical stuff. Like, all critic scores in 92% Rotten Tomatoes, 80, 84 on Metacritic, which is very high. I think the one that stands out to me here in terms of audience reaction is 84 on Letterbox. Like right. if you're above 80 on Letterbox from like, you know, film aficionados and whatever, uh, it, it, I, I list it as God tier. Mm-hmm. Like that's like Godfather level, um, Dark Knight yeah. level film. I might um, be mistaken, but I don't think we've done a movie on this podcast yet until no. now. 
that had above 80 on Letterboxd. I don't think so. That's insane. Yeah, it was super high. And then, but I also find there's a weirdness to like the the cinema score, which, you know, if you're not familiar, is the survey that's done opening night. I think it's the Friday, seven o'clock show in like 12 different cities in the country. It's been going on since like the late 70s. Got a beat, which is not good. That's that's yeah. very bad. I always get confused on cinema score because like a B minus, like in terms of a grade, is actually not that bad in like academics. But but cinema score, it's like terrible. It's pretty bad. Like if you're below a B plus, yeah. you're in, you're in a rough spot, and you're not a horror movie. Wow, you're you're like B minus is terrible. So there is a weird sort of immediate softness to this for people who went on opening night. These are not Johnny Come Latelys. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so what do you, do you guys think? Is there anything in there and sort of what we're talking about is maybe was there a letdown here? Was there a, a mismarketing, as you guys recall? I mean, it just seems like a strange movie to put out wide. Uh, yes. Yeah. Why, uh, I feel like they're probably, but also like if you're going to spend that much money making it, I guess you got to double down, right? Would this well, movie have- cover costs? Yeah. Because if they, yeah, knew, yeah. they knew going in, it was 76 million. Right, that's a lot of cash. You're gonna lay down what another 30, 40 for marketing at least. Yeah, right. Would it would anybody have attempted to make this if they were had to make it on less than twenty? I don't know. Probably not. I, well, I, I do wonder what was greenlit. Do you, Ryan, do you think that the this thing was ballooned? I don't know. It's tough to say because one of the other things that I noticed when my rewatch is they they probably built this whole town for the end of right. the week camp. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Like that saving private Ryan level type of stuff where they build these towns and then they blow them to smithereens and then you have to reset it and all that stuff. And that, I don't know. I mean, cause the, the rest of the story is relatively, you know, it's, it's pretty, um, you know, the locations are somewhat pastoral and like, um, uh, you know, they kind of don't have a lot of people in a lot of scenes for most of it. No. Um, I, you know, if the, if what, what, if this whole kind of second half of the movie where they're in the refugee camp is written mm-hmm. on the script, you got to imagine that that when they budgeted it, they couldn't really, they couldn't really underestimate that. I, I figured like you have to, I don't know, but you can't, I mean, you can't do this movie for like under 50 million probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't. Probably not. Right. Um, not with the, you know, the sort of. The production design that they decided to use here i mean it's pretty elaborate and layered um do we feel like you know i'm kind of looking at these like critical reactions we have listed here it's very hard like uh kenneth turner at the la times said it's a blade runner for the 21st century well uh a worthy successor to that epic <laughs> of dystopian decay okay very positive kenneth, <laughs> kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> that's a I mean, old statement to make. <laughs> is, is he wrong though? Well, I mean, I mean, like outside of this group of three people, yeah, I mean, he's probably he's. It seems like probably uh, right. The the film nerds have proved him correct. Yeah, um, they love it. I mean, every, on Reddit, you can't go a week without someone saying, right. "I just saw Children of Men; it changed my life." You but know. what he unfortunately did could not realize at the time that is that the Blade Runner for the 21st century would actually turn out to be Blade Runner 2049. Don't say, I knew you were going to say That leads me. Uh, how do we? How, I'm going to throw a curveball at you guys. Um, you know, think of dystopian films. Obviously, this is on the upper echelon as people see it, the, the sort of general consensus. How would you relate this to something to say like 28 days later, which came out three years before 
technically for in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, different themes, but a dystopian theme that's a little bit more sort of George Romero-esque. Um, how do you feel like this this movie stacks up to that movie? Because I think we all loved that movie back in the day. I'm, I'm we, had a, pretty, you know, I, we had a formal debate about it, as I recall. I actually, yeah, I actually, <laughs> um, I think it was on. I think um, HBO Max actually had Twenty Eight uh, Days Later on it recently, and yeah. I watched the whole film again for the first time in a couple years, and yeah. still, still really dig that movie. I still, still swings I, away. It's it just pretty, rocks. I mean, I saw that movie like three times in the theater. You know, yeah. that's one of that's where I dread. You know, if my one of my friends hadn't seen it, I'm like, we're going right now. Let's go. Let's I yeah. see that movie again, and mm-hmm. I still think it holds up pretty well. I um um I haven't seen it in a few years. I oh, I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I think that I, like- I liked um. You know, I think that the, the the script is stronger in the sense that um, yeah, way stronger. It also benefits for the fact that the cast isn't so big because most everybody is you know dead. Um, <laughs> uh, so they kind of are able to you know um, show kind of characters kind of you know giving each other a boost to try to get through this really difficult situation, and then the villains are given a little bit more room to to wiggle in the end. It's still not that deep of a movie, of course, because it's basically a zombie movie, but. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess um I guess 20 you could say though that 28 days later is a, is a ride as well, you know? Uh, I, I would say that but it doesn't have the same feeling as this movie. No, no. Um like you I think you you um I was the main character Jim, is that his name in the movie? I can't yeah. Um, yeah, well like yeah, Cillian Murphy I feel like is definitely light years beyond Clive Owen, just in terms of like people able to bring that kind of everyman role to life in a nuanced way. Well, they talk about their emotions in that movie, right? There's like scenes where they talk about what they want and the wife that they miss and the yeah the family yeah. that's gone. Brendan Gleeson, really oh my god, that? Brendan Gleeson's great as always. Yeah. <laughs> You know what we get in this movie, and I got I'm shitting on this movie for no reason. Uh, I love this movie. <laughs> there, you know, the emotional context. There's that. There's that scene. The one thing that stuck, stood out to me is there's the scene where he, um, in the beginning, where she's trying to make contact with him, whatever. Uh, they're on the bus, and he uh-huh. says something. I can't believe you could forget our son. So they have that fight in like, the upper, yeah, that, that was uh, the fight. Upper, they had that fight on the upper deck of the bus. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, and it just kind of it it falls flat a little bit to me because right. I feel that people can blow up at you, each other at the drop of a hat, especially yeah. that history there. But for whatever reason, the way it was staged, it was just like, okay, we're having yeah. a oh, yeah. bad fight. <laughs> and he literally says something like, "Do what you do best, walk away." Yeah, like fucking. I I did want to say that one movie that came to mind that I don't think. I had seen I don't think I'd seen Children Men all the way through since I've seen this movie multiple times. It's one of my favorites of the past decade. And I don't know if this is if I'm saying this amongst people that will scoff at me. I don't care. Um <laughs> it feels like a ride and the emotions feel real, the stakes feel real, and it actually has a sense of fun to it. Uh-huh. Uh Snowpiercer. Okay. Not, yeah, not the TV maybe. show, the movie. Yeah. I, I I love that film, and I think that that's a movie that does that amusement park style well, but doesn't forget to actually make it joyous and also bloody as hell. Yeah, okay, I could see that. That's a that's a really good call uh, and a good take. Well, you know, uh, there was a re- uh, 
it's interesting that you brought up Snowpiercer because Snowpiercer exists, of course, as a movie and a show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I recently was watching um, Why the Last Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. well, I, yeah, I read the comics. So, I haven't seen the show yet. So, and that, you know, obviously kind of flips the fertility thing a little bit um, because all the dudes are dead. And I was just kind of like, what can they? It got me thinking just in this conversation, like, what does a Children of Men TV show look like? Oh, if it looks amazing. Do, mm. do you make a TV show out of this thing? Or You could. I mean, think about the first 10 minutes of it is a TV show worth world that it's built. But like I, it, I guess, you know, well, so it could I, end up like Man in the High Castle, though. Snooze so alert. To, so again, going to something like Why the Last Man, um, I watched the first season of that show and I kind of did not dig it. I think that... <laughs> It was, yeah, that's why I've been avoiding it is because I liked the it, comics so much. It, it, so it, it it shares some of the themes, you know, with Children of Men in the sense that, you know, it's just kind of like one hope for humanity kind of navigating, a you know, a, fall, a, a world that's falling apart. And the first couple episodes were good. And then the movie and then the show kind of falls apart and you're over it. And I think that, you know, I'm watching Children of Men and it's not quite the same progression, but it's just kind of like, okay, well, the concept is something that's really, you know, interesting. And, you know, uh, building the world um, certainly is successful. But then at the end of the day, it's just kind of such a bummer to go down this road. And I'm, I'm just not sure that, you know, that's probably why... I'm ragging on a little bit just just because it's not really it's not really it's not really a world I want to revisit very often I guess yeah it's definitely a low rewatch outside the technical aspects of it I think yeah yeah um well yeah what do we think you know Chris what do you think the legacy of this film's going to be because that's one of the one of the main points we always want to hit with these sort of rewind reviews you know because it's it's such a big film uh, right now and it was back then for a certain group of people but now it's you know it's uh cachet is much larger than it was then how do you th- how do you see this playing out you know in 20 30 years well i mean it, so it got me to think about looking at uh letterboxd's uh 250 highest rated films yeah um because it's kind of like the you know uh insular um erudite version of the imdb 250 right mm-hmm. and i i it, you know you're ha- more hard pressed to find the kind of films that like uh populate the top 250 of the imdb that just seem like oh that that'll be up there for a little while and then it'll disappear yeah. um that's the, you don't see that as much on the letterbox because it's definitely more co- more canonical and also more leans more obscure and international mm-hmm. but like I mean, something I, I'm going to throw out a a parallel. I don't know how well this movie is going to play still in another 10 years, similar to how I see uh, Damien Chazelle's whiplash in the top 50 (laughs) of Letterboxd. And that's a film that I actually like. I actually uh, like, but I, you know, I cannot see that movie still causing so much like masturbatory why praise though? why in 10 15 years i because it's like it's just it's one of those things where it's like it's a well acted movie that does something different but there's not a lot there it's but also because, kind of like does it glorify abuse 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah, um, that's not that's not cool anymore, <laughs> right? But like, yeah. So I just think that maybe we're still we're just like there's an extended honeymoon phase. I think eventually people will realize. I think especially to be curious to see in response to whatever Quaron does next. Yeah. Um, because obviously Roma hit a lot of you know checked a lot of the the you know indie artsy boxes too. <sighs> that's like <laughs> Roma. Um, I actually like drama. Uh, but uh, the scene in the ocean is absurd and over the top. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I mean it's melodrama. But, yeah, uh, uh, I do. Not, I, that's my. Th- that's my theory. Is that I, I we're would, still we're still liking Children of Men for a while, but it'll eventually fade. I don't think it'll fade because of the technical aspects. I think it'll. I think it will fade, like you're saying, um, because of the political naivete yeah, of yeah. it. It, it comes across as very much like a, a an episode of The Daily Show in 2006. It's sort of this neoliberal, <laughs> self-righteous, solipsistic, I know better, the world should be this way. And <laughs> as we've seen the world play out, especially in America, that's not going to win out. Just not. And so, I don't know. When we look back on this movie, I think we'll see it as kind of childish. But that's just my take. Um, childish, that's apropos. Yes. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Ryan, any closing thoughts as our guest here? You have the honors here. Any closing thoughts on... You no, know, I, I basically, I think uh, I'm coming down on your side of the, you know, what the legacy of this movie is. I think, you know, obviously people will still watch certain segments of it, you know, just mm-hmm. to see that, those cool scenes, but that's pretty much it. You know, I think it's rare that anybody actually picks this thing up and watches the whole thing all the way through. Um, as we get further from some of the historical events like Abu Ghraib was a big thing. Yes. This movie. Uh, yeah. The, the second Iraq war um, refugee crisis and immigration are still very much big issues with us. Um, so those, you know, the anti-immigrant rhetoric from, you know, some of the characters in the movie that that's still kind of, you know, uh, is relevant. And, um, you know, I would actually argue sometimes it's even worse than, you know, what was on the film, but, um, oh, way worse. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in that respect, actually, um, is especially, you know, and the climate stuff too, which I think was a little bit, they, they rightly probably didn't draw too much attention to this, but I think the movie basically says that because we fucked up the earth, or it can't have babies anymore, <laughs> you know, yeah, like exactly, I think yeah. that was kind of the idea, you know, cause they, they really layer the, at least the imagery of, you know, how polluted and gross and gray everything is. And so I don't know. I mean, I think, will it stay in like maybe the top two fifty, probably for in the next 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I'd see that. But I, I think but it might slowly fade. Like I, I said, I agree with you guys. I think it'll just kind of, slowly kind of inch down that list and kind of get because somebody will do a big technical movie like this again and you know and they're always you know there'll always be something i mean gravity probably more obviously more people saw gravity than this show you know so it's yeah you you know so gotcha all right interesting i mean i saw interesting like the abu grave stuff it's like we thought that was so bad, but like we put kids in cages, <laughs> right? And nobody blinked an eye, or half the country didn't blink an eye at it. And I'm like, okay, this we know where this is all leading. Let's let's be honest. Um, on that uh, depressing note, uh, Ryan, thanks for for being here with yeah. us. Appreciate it as always. Um, Thank you guys. We'll have you back definitely next season. And then Chris, what are we doing next week? We got a new movie. Uh huh. Um, I'm picking the new movies this season. Let's. Look forward to talking about the new indie semi-apocalyptic thriller, uh, where he, I guess, is a mystery. 
as to whether or not the world has ended in We Need to Do Something. It stars Sierra McCormick and Vanessa Shaw. Uh, it's directed by Sean King O'Grady. It's his uh, directorial full-length debut, um, but he was uh, more of an executive producer before this, and he helped make one of my favorite movies of 2019, The Assistant. It's uh, Ooh. We Need to Do Something streaming on Hulu. Uh, should be an interesting watch. Awesome. Thanks for listening. This has been Film Trace.